0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. The following is a presentation of Podcast One.
1: What the hell is Brett Favre
0: doing here? Eric Bowling and Brett Favre. On everything from politics and sports to business and culture. This year has been insane. I got some advice for y'all. Take two weeks
2: off and quit. That man right there, number four, Brett Favre. First NFL completion, and
0: it's to himself. It's big time and prime time.
2: That's why Brett Favre is
0: Brett Favre. Now it's Bowling with Favre. All right, everyone, this is a big show. Brett, good to see you again, my friend. Uh, How excited are we to have the one and only Dr. Phil joining us in just a minute? Uh, you know,
2: after going through a lot of stuff I went through early in my life, I'm glad that I don't have to be grilled by Dr. Phil. <laughs> but I, I'm a big fan. I really am a big
0: fan. Uh, and I think because of what I went through and kind of seen it from both sides. Yeah, well, so we'll get Dr. Phil away and, and and exactly that. A lot of things that probably people don't know about you, about everyone. Um, And folks, remember, if you're listening to the podcast right now, make sure you rate us and review us. That's the way we get seen. That's the way we get heard. We get on lists and and that'll help to get the word out. Appreciate you. The the Week to week, our numbers are going up. We love you for that. Make sure you get the word out. Bowling with Favre, go to Spotify, go to iTunes, rate and review us or wherever you get your podcasts. All kinds of departments across the nation, police, fire, EMS, medical workers on the front lines, all deal with constrained budgets and outdated gear and end up paying out of their own pocket for the gear they need to do their job. But there's still a job to do, and you need the gear to do it, and that's why we love GovX. Big retailers
2: don't care about you. For your sacrifices, so long as you're clicking the add to cart button. So, GovX created an online community that honors who you
0: are and the cause you serve. GovX works directly with the brands to negotiate the best prices possible because you deserve the gear you need at the prices you've earned. Plus, you can trust that the gear you're ordering is 100% authentic, direct from the manufacturer. The GovX catalog features best-selling, recognizable brands like Oakley, Yeti, Garmin, Vortex, Optics, Benchmade, Danner, and more. I'm putting on some glasses from GovX. By the way, Brett, these are amazing these are perfect sunglasses well, I, I, I love them I, I, I haven't put some on yet but I'll say this
2: they at least make you look cool that's right. Yeah, otherwise, do that. Getting back to GovX not only delivers the deals on the gear you need, it's got the fun stuff, too. Everything from camping and survival gear, Bluetooth speakers, and even tailgate coolers.
0: And you know what? Once you're a GovX member, your membership earns you discounts on everything they've got, all you need to do is sign up for free. No subscription fees. No re-upping your membership every year. Once you're approved, you're a fully-fledged GovX member for life. So if you're an American of service, a current or former member of the military, firefighting, frontline medical or law enforcement communities, join GovEx for free and enjoy a community that honors and gives back to patriots like you. So, Brett, without any further ado, let's bring in the man himself. Are you ready for this, Dr. Phil McGraw? ready. I'm ready. Well, this is a great day. We're, we're honored. We love uh, Dr. Phil Phil McGraw. To, uh, he's joining us, giving us some of his time. Appreciate your time. Dr. Phil, you and I go way back. We, we hung out a little bit maybe a decade ago or so when I interviewed you over at Fox News, but I haven't spoken to you since. And Brett and I are just thrilled that you're here. 19th season of the Dr. Phil Show. Thanks for joining us.
1: Well, thanks for having me. It's good to talk to both of you guys.
0: One more so, year. You tied
2: my 20-year. Uh, I played 20 years in the National Football League. I couldn't imagine doing it again. And for you, I've watched your shows many a times. And uh, uh, what a run! What an amazing run!
1: Well, it's been easier for me to do 20 than it was for you. I don't have any. I don't. I don't have a thousand pounds of linemen landing on top of me.
0: Yeah, and and, and going uh, after this is you. True. Phil, Phil, we've done this. We've sat down with uh, Adam Carolla. We've we sat down with Darius Rucker last week. And, and one of the most interesting things, and I think our audience doesn't really get to hear this very often and, and hear it when, on this podcast, how did you get started? What was the, the impetus? What was the, the first, did you, How did you walk into it? Did you know it was coming? Did you know, know right away you are going to be successful?
1: Well, you know, I, it's interesting because I never had any aspirations whatsoever Uh, to be on television or radio or anything at all. Um, In fact, I was um, in the trial science uh, business where we uh, worked with litigators in um, the litigation arena. And for 15, 20 years, I never gave one word of interview. I mean, I'd be at a big trial. Somebody would say, you know, who are you and why are you inside the rail up there with all of these lawyers? And I'd say, I'm not even here. I don't I'm not even here. I never gave a single word of interview. And um, then um, one of the trials I did, I was defending Oprah in what became known as the mad cow case uh, up in Amarillo, Texas. Y'all remember that where she Mm -hmm. got sued by the cattle growers up there yeah uh and so I, I worked with oprah for two or three years um leading up to and during the pendency of that trial and after it was all over with and we had a really good result but after it was all over with a couple months later um i got a call from a producer at oprah and they said hey uh, uh oprah would really like you to come be on the show and um i said yeah no i'd I, I'd really rather not. Um, I got some other stuff scheduled for them, but I'll give you the name of some people that I think would be really good. And they said, "Oh, well, uh, okay." About twenty minutes later, Oprah calls and she said, "You don't say no to Oprah." She was just <laughs> dying laughing. <laughs> she said, you don't say no to Oprah. And uh, I said, "Well, I'm going scuba diving with my boys." And she said, "Well, how about we wait till you get back?" And I said, "Well, uh, okay." And I went in and. Uh, did a show, and as the old saying goes, the rest is history. I then started doing every Tuesday on Oprah for uh, four or five years, and then we launched the Dr. Phil show. Um, and we were going to do it in Chicago, and then we decided to do it out here in LA instead. So, um, and as you just said, we're in our just finishing up our 19th season. So it's been a great uh, been a great run. I really enjoy it. You still, you still.
0: Stay in contact with Oprah?
1: I do. I talk to her really often, frequently. We email and talk on the phone and see each other because she lives in Santa Barbara, just north of here. So we're able to connect uh, quite often.
0: How, how, have you spoken to her since the big Carrie and, and, and Megan interview?
1: You know, I have not. I haven't talked to her since then, but uh, I watched the interview and uh, thought she, as usual, did a great job. So,
0: and, and so you watch the interview and you're, you're a doctor and and you just, you see things I watch the show and you see things that, that regular people don't see before they happen out of these guests that you bring on. If, if Megan and Harry were on your set and you were talking, what did you see that we didn't see? Cause there's gotta be something that you picked up that maybe the the media didn't or, or the general public didn't.
1: Well, you know, I, I watched Oprah the most, and I was impressed with how, you know, an interesting thing, I I think you would notice it with me as well because I kind of learned this from Oprah. You would be amazed how little she says during an interview. If you just did a word count, how few words she speaks during the interview and lets the people tell their story and lets them talk. And um, I – I I was really impressed with how little she said with open-ended questions and um, let them speak. And I was surprised that um, as much time was spent with just Megan first and then adding Harry afterwards. Uh, I thought that was interesting. I don't ascribe any particular meaning to it, but I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, And I thought they were both you know really well spoken, and i 'm not a big follower of the Royals or what that life is like, so I, I don't have much of an opinion on it or what she went through at all, but um I, I think they both seem to be doing okay now
0: but you know as as a therapist, you know you saw Meghan Markle drop kind of a bomb there, and Oprah was shocked. I mean you could see she was shocked, she said, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, wait a minute, wait a minute this whole you know, mm. racial insensitivity from from the crown from from England. Um did you see in in, in the in the aftermath of that, Piers Morgan walks off a of set because he questioned Megan's sincerity. And I'm not asking you to do that, but did you see anything as a therapist that tells you, may give you raise mm. a razor red flag on what Megan was saying there that it may not be as dramatic as we're all understanding it to be right now?
1: No, you know it- for me to express an opinion on something like that, I would have to know the context in in which it was said, who said it, um, and you know, kind of what it what was the background, the context in which it was said. And I don't think we have very much information about it, um, so I it, it's hard to really know um, what the intent was or the context in which it was said. So I don't really have an opinion on it one way or the other. Gotcha.
2: Um, obviously we're, we're on a podcast and we're in the infant stages of, of our podcast, but you have, I have a podcast, fill in the blanks, which I love the name. Now it's been quite a while since you've done a show. Is it still, still there? You just preoccupied with other stuff?
1: No, it is. Um, I, I went on hiatus. I, I put it on hiatus when we stopped last season I was going to put it on hiatus for the summer, and then we were in quarantine, and it just got really, really busy, and so um, now that things are loosening up, uh, the first next episode of Fill in the Blanks will be uh, the last week of April or the first week of May. I've got about uh, 15 or 20 uh, interviews that I've done over the last couple of months in the can. So I always like to get way ahead in case I get diverted and I, I don't have to go scuba diving. Exactly. I don't want to be caught with uh, nothing. So I, I, I always tape ahead and uh, I've now got enough cushions. So I'll uh, drop the first one either last week of April or first week of May. You
0: know, you you talk about going on hiatus and in, in, in this whole year of, mm-hmm. of basically quarantining and and just pulling ourselves out of society, flipping us on on our ear. Mm-hmm. You know, Phil, I see. You know, last week eight people shot in the Atlantic killed. This yesterday, Colorado ten people killed. I'm watching spring break in Miami, just mayhem, craziness going on. Do you think? this is some sort of acting out by by the population because we've been held down we've been stuck in our, our our apartments our homes for so long
1: i wish that was the case because that would mean that it would we'd see a spike and then maybe it would go away when everybody got released but if you look at the pattern of mass shootings and school shootings and the kind of violence that you're describing um, it, it's sadly, tragically, uh, pretty consistent year in and year out. Uh, I mean, these things happen so much so now that they oftentimes just don't make big headlines. You know, five, six people get shot at at a mall or a, a, a gathering at a home somewhere. Uh, it just doesn't even really make big headlines anymore. Uh, and I think that's just heartbreaking. And So I I really don't think that it's so. So what do you think? It is steam after the quarantine. I, I I think it was happening before the quarantine. I think it happened during the quarantine. I think it was just a little bit less while everybody was locked away because there wasn't such a target-rich environment.
0: So so what's happening? What's happening in American society right
1: now that we're we're killing as many of our own people as as we are? Well, you know, I think it's a lot of frustration, and I, I think people are. Uh, you know, really, really hurting. And I I think there's always, from my standpoint, I look at it from uh, a psychological standpoint. And uh, I think every time you catch a shooter or you look at the background of the shooter, you almost always find out that that person felt marginalized in some way. They felt... Mm -hmm. They didn't fit in. They felt rejected. When you look at the research, it's not uncommon that they had suffered a loss from a loved one fairly recently before it took place that, uh, that maybe a, a longtime girlfriend or a wife had rejected them or they lost their children uh, through divorce. They lost their job. They just really felt like they were disenfranchised and didn't have a way to fit into the world. You know, the number one need of all people um, is acceptance, belongingness. You, know, you feel like you belong, that you're wanted, that you're part of something. And the number one fear is rejection uh, or failure. And those are the same thing to me. If, if, if you open a business and you fail, you've been rejected by the world. They don't want what you have to offer. And the common thing that we see among these shooters is they almost always have been marginalized in some way leading up to that shooting. And when that happens um, and they don't have a way to express themselves or a way to get back into their lives, um, and, of course, that's a post hoc analysis. And let me tell you what I mean when I I say that because it's a big frustration to me. Not everybody that's marginalized and loses their place in the world is a shooter, but most shooters are marginalized. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you can predict it before it happens. You just come in after the fact and observe that that was the case. Uh, because they ask you, why don't we pick these things out psychologically? Why don't we have a test where we can say this person's going to be a uh, a mass killer or serial killer or a mass killer. We just don't have the devices to do that with. We just don't, we that, we can't screen people for firearms or something with those tests because we just don't have that good a test.
0: Phil, you know, so I'm watching the the aftermath of the Atlanta shooting where eight people are dead. Six of them were, were Asian, Asian Americans who were killed. And immediately the knee jerk reaction was, well, this was a racist. It was a hate crime, right? there's some real smart people in 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 the past week or so since this happened who pointed out that this was more likely a crime against sex workers than it was against specifically asian people what, what, what do you think it, what, is it, there's a difference right there's a distinction there <clears throat> shouldn't shouldn't we talk about this it, was it a hate crime in your opinion do you think it was a, a crime against people <clears throat> apparently the young man who did this was very angry about him being tempted by these uh, massage parlors.
1: Right. And I, yeah, you know, I think as, as time goes, as, as time passes, I, I think the details of that will unfold and there will be a psychological trail that will tell you whether this was uh, him being tempted by these people. And then you'll find out, was he, particularly tempted by uh, Asian sex workers or was it sex workers uh, in general? And th- you will find that out because when you start unpacking mm-hmm. his history, there will be, you'll you'll find a, a trail. He'll have written something. There'll be uh, drawings. He'll have talked to other people and you'll be able to find out. And I, I think people need to, kind of slow the roll and and find out exactly what was going on. And, of course, to the families, um, you know, the loss is just as tragic, whatever the reason he did it for, uh, whether it was one or the other. But I, I think when you, when you start to do a psychological autopsy on someone that's committed that kind of a crime, there's always a pattern, there's always a trail that tells you why they did what they did. hmm
0: one more, coconut. I'll let J- Brett jump in here. But but uh, moving to, to the Colorado shooting, you know, again, Phil it was an eight AR-15 that was used, and immediately there are a lot of verified blue check marks on Twitter that was saying this guy must be white because this is the the gun that's been used by, as you point out, disenfranchised white men who shoot a lot of places up and have in history. I guess in their defense, that has happened quite a bit. But it turns out. Allegedly or according to the name there or some accounts are that he has a Muslim name and he's likely not a white guy with an AR-15. Are we jumping to conclusions to you said slow your roll? Should we should we all just take a deep breath and slow our roll?
1: Well, we're in a 30 minute news cycle these days, Eric. You know that because you've Mm -hmm. been so prominent. Uh, in the news, uh, gathering and reporting machine. And because we're in a 30 minute news cycle, it, it changes and people are wanting to get the scoop, wanting to get the information and wanting to get it out there. And so there is no due process in news. Mm. They just want to get the next piece of information out there before somebody else does. And, uh, I, I think that drives law enforcement crazy, uh, And I I do think you have to slow your roll on this stuff and find out, you know, who did what to who and why. And uh, I think it's important to get that right uh, because people react to it a whole lot. And if people are going to get out and start reacting, they need to be sure they know what the hell they're reacting to Mm -hmm. and and be accurate about it. And I think it's really important that uh, due process takes its course.
0: Let's face it, taking trips to the post office is probably not how you want to spend your time. That's why we recommend mailing and shipping online at Stamps.com. Stamps.com allows you to mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer.
2: Stamps.com has saved businesses thousands of hours and tons of money. With Stamps.com, you get the services of the post office and UPS
0: all in one place. And Stamps.com brings that service of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS right to your computer. Stamps.com is a must-have for any business. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you get discounts up to 40% off post office rates and up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. Not to mention, Stamps.com is a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters.
2: Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time and money, and it's no wonder
0: nearly 1 million small businesses already use Stamps.com. So stop wasting time going to the post office. It's gross there. And go to stamps.com instead. And with our promo code BOWLING, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BOWLING, B-O-L-L-I-N-G. That's stamps.com, promo code BOWLING, stamps.com, never Go to the post office again, and that won't be soon enough.
2: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to that, and we're talking about guns, and, and I'm an avid hunter. Uh, you know, there's those who are for guns, and there's those that are against guns. And certainly an event like this doesn't bode well for the gun enthusiast. Um, but don't you – you know, I, what's your take on – banning guns um, versus what we have now?
1: Well, my theory and my fear is, you know, I I look at people walking around with AR-15s, you know, fully automatic weapons. And I I can't think of a good reason that people need to have a fully automatic assault rifle uh, in denver or cleveland or where i mean just walking around the city it, it doesn't make sense to me uh, but uh, i think if we do away with the second amendment i think what you're going to do is take away guns from all the law-abiding citizens and the only people that are going to have them then are the criminals uh right. because they're not the, the criminals aren't going to say oh it's against the law to have a gun now. i will go turn mine in. They're the last ones that are going to give their guns up. So I, I, I just. I doubt I they bought it at Bass ECS Pro Shops. Place. What's that?
2: And I doubt that they went to Bass Pro Shops and bought their gun.
1: Hardly. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I hardly think they went in there and signed up all the stuff and took their picture and right. all that. So I, I, I do you. worry about we're going to disarm the good guys and, um, Uh, leave the bad guys with the guns, but I don't think there's an easy answer. Um, That's what I was talking about before. People have asked me, you know, shouldn't you psychologically uh, screen these people? You know, what about the psychotics? Well, interestingly enough, that population is not a particularly violent population. Uh, The psychological uh, profiles on those people, they're not particularly violent. So it just doesn't predict. Uh, But I I think it's a very slippery slope if you start doing away with the Second Amendment. Very uncomfortable. Selfishly, I think they should take away everybody's guns but mine. (laughs) Let me keep mine. Everybody else turn theirs in
0: yeah it, it, the 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 biggest uh, advocates for gun control are 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 being protected by security guards who are packing heat to make sure they they 're safe phil uh, can can i just can I back up a little bit to the this whole year of pandemic you know i something close to my world, my son passed away from an accidental opioid overdose in college and and brett 's been outspoken about the opioid epidemic in his life as well. I, I saw some preliminary numbers for the last year, and they look like the numbers of, of drug deaths, specifically opioid overdose deaths, are soaring, soaring, absolutely soaring. Tell, are Will this be a spike because we've all been stuck home, mm-hmm. and will it go down, or are we creating a new normal here of, of deadly pandemic?
1: Well, I, I think that it is going up, and you know, it's going up not just with, Uh, prescription opioids, but it's also going up with heroin because what's happening is a lot of people are getting prescription opioids. They get addicted to those and then they get harder to get or they're expensive and heroin is much cheaper. So we have a whole new group, a whole new category of heroin addicts. We used to think about them as being the people kind of living on the street and getting their drugs in the alley. We now have suburban heroin addicts that started out with opioids after an operation or after dental work or after something that they got it for legitimately. Uh, But then they got where they couldn't get them, where they were too expensive, so they switched over to heroin. And I think it's a serious problem. And I, I know that There are projections from government agencies now that between 2015 and 2027 that there could be as many as 500,000 deaths from opiate overdose. And, I mean, something's got to happen to change that. And, by the way, I'm very sorry for your loss, Eric. Thank you. I don't want that to just slide by. I can't even imagine uh, what you went through with that, I'm very, very sorry. Thank you. Thank you.
2: You know, and uh, along those same lines, I it, it didn't happen overnight, but it it was it was it was scary how quickly I became addicted. And it, harmlessly, I played a uh, a sport that, as you know, is violent, and there're going to be injuries. And I separated my shoulder against Philadelphia in Milwaukee. And it just so happens that the guy who tackled me was Reggie White, who became my teammate uh, and separated my shoulder, third-degree separation. I got it shot up at halftime. But after the game, I took a couple of Viking and ES, what I was given.
1: Right. Uh,
2: and I, it, it, it sort of numbed the pain, but it also felt pretty good. And so I found found that... If that pain lingered, if you know what I mean, I could get more pills. Right. And that's, it. and it snuck up on me. It was two pills that gave me a buzz and then it was four. And then, and at its peak, I was taking 16 and <laughs> ES all at one time. Oh my gosh. I know it would, it, it would kill any person who tried to do that, including me, if I were to do it uh, now, but. You know, I, I, all this pandemic and, and it, granted, I know people have died and it's it has been a serious issue. But I think we pay more attention to the, the virus, the COVID and less attention to opiate addiction, cancer, uh, things that are, are here to stay. Obesity. Mississippi is terrible with obesity and diabetes. It kills so many people. And I I feel like everyone's focus has been narrowed down down to COVID, that all the other things are just secondary. And we, we know that that's not the case.
1: Well, it's not the case. And it's not just the medical side. It's the psychological as well. But, you know, you talk about taking those pain pills. And there are some really chilling statistics about that because, the statistics are, if if you fill your prescription one time at the end of seven days, your chance of being addicted at the one-year mark is 1 in 12. Wow. If you fill it at the end of 30 days, your likelihood of being addicted at the one-year mark is 33%. Wow. So that's wow. how addictive that these opioids are. And... That it, it, people just don't realize this at 30 days. So, you they give you a prescription that covers you for a couple of weeks and you renew it once. So, at 30 days, you're still taking them. You, you got a one in three chance that you're going to be an addict at the end of a year, which means you've been taking them for 12 months by that time. That's how difficult it is. And, uh, That's and pe- people have really looked away from that. I, I testified before by partisan uh, committee uh, before Congress about just this and, and how uh, addictive it is. But you're right, during the um, this quarantine, people have been slow to go get examined, which means we're now having doctors that intervene later. So cancer has maybe advanced two or three months before a doctor saw it and we know early detection is the number one tool in fighting it, or people have skipped treatments. Uh, So heart disease has advanced, cancer has advanced, and the mortality rates go up because of that. And uh, and, and psychologically, just loneliness, Uh, people that suffer from loneliness, I mean, the death rate goes up among those people. It just has a depression, anxiety, loneliness, I, I believe the psychological effects of this year-long quarantine, uh, when it's all said and done, uh, the deaths re- that result from all of those factors will outstrip the deaths from the coronavirus itself.
0: You know, can I ask Brett, and, and I never asked you this before, and maybe Phil, I have a question for you too, uh, Brett. What made you stop? I mean, so many of these people who have found um, themselves addicted, well, there's, there's an event, I would think, that yeah, it, it comes to your right. mind that made you stop. So 1994 was when it started.
2: Now, I had taken pain pills before that, you know, not necessarily football injuries. Uh, but when I first realized that I liked the pain pill was after that Philadelphia game in 94. And it wasn't the, – the next time I got injured, for example, may have been three weeks later and I sprained my ankle. I don't know if, if it was sprained enough to warrant getting pain pills, but I remembered the f- effect that I had. Right. And I liked it. And I thought, what the heck? You know, why not? So that happened two or three times during the course of that season – to a point where, like Dr. Phil said, then it was I was taking two every day and until and 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 I could get away with getting two a day because it was two, and maybe the, the third day I would ask another player to get two pills, so I just didn't ask the same person, and you start learning to manipulate the system and yeah. you become very good at it uh and and to a point where i was basically taking in 2 days a month uh prescription which is cr- crazy but it but it was it it became constant at the end of 94 season to where when i went home i was taking the pills and after usually after a month two became 3 3 became 4 4 became you know, it would only last for four weeks, and then I had to go up. And so during the, the 95 season, I had a seizure the night before a game, a, a all-out seizure. Now, for lack of a better description, when I met with the neurologist there in Green Bay, basically what he said uh, in layman's terms was your lack of sleep has short-circuited your system, and that's what contributed to the seizure. I'd never had a seizure before that, and so as they dug deeper, he found out that I had an addiction to painkiller pills. And uh, it, but I didn't, I didn't tell him how much. And so I said, "I uh, okay, I'll stop taking them," but I I continued to take them to a point where at the end of the '95 season. I had ankle surgery and had another seizure in the hospital. That scared me. My wife and my oldest daughter, our youngest daughter was not uh born at the time, were in the hospital when, when that happened. When I woke up, there were doctors, doctors everywhere, and I was I was looking around. and said, What was what's going on? I said, Yeah, a seizure. And I thought to myself, again. So then it, it had to come to Jesus, really. I had to tell everyone what was going on. But really, I knew I had to stop. And um, I went to rehab in Topeka, Kansas, the Menager Clinic, and I was there for 75 days. I, I thought I had it all figured out. I fought them. That's why I was there 75 days. At 28 days, they were like, you ain't going nowhere. And I said, bullshit, I'm going somewhere. And the league said, if you don't stay, you don't play. So I stayed. To a point where I finally, I, I figured out, you know, agree with what they're saying. In other words, manipulate again. And then when I got out, I continued to do what I was doing. And really, it came to a head. I had eight. So, so Brett,
0: Brett you, you got out and then went back to gather. To, to Not right pills. away, but I
2: did. Yes. Okay. I, All right. I All right. And, I, and I'll tell
0: you this. there was
2: So, when I got out, I was... I was fit. This was '96 season. We're going to play the. Su- we didn't know, but we ended up winning the Super Bowl that year. And they said, "Okay, if you need pain pills, we got a non-addictive pain pill that you can take. It's called Ultram." Mm. And I'd never heard of it before. And Dr. Phil probably knows about it. Well, let me tell you: if you take twenty of them, it will <laughs> it will work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm obviously, in no way telling someone to take 20 of them. But I, that's the addictive nature that I was going through. I took, I, I, I tried them. It didn't really – I can't say it, it held with pain or not, but I was, I was taking a pain pill for effect. Yeah. And eventually, I took 20, and I got a buzz. And so I fell right back into that cycle again. So at the end of the season, I had eight pills in my possession. Eight pills would not do – what I needed it to do. It would give me zero buzz. And I was home in Mississippi, and I was as low as I possibly could be, even though I'd won the Super Bowl, won an MVP, actually won three MVPs in a row. And th- During this whole time, I hadn't slept a bit, like maybe an hour a night. It's crazy. Um, but I was low. I felt, I mean, I, I was, and I said, it's one of two things. I die or I flushed these pills down the toilet. And, and I contemplated, I sat by the toilet for two hours. Mm. And eventually I dumped the, the pills in the toilet, flushed them, and I, I, could, I almost wanted to kill myself because, because of doing that. That I could not believe that I had actually done that. And I was so mad at myself because now what was I gonna do? And actually I, I spent probably the next two weeks it was, a, it was really not the way you want to come off of pain pills because it could kill you. I shook with cold sweats, hot sweats. Every night at 9 o'clock, I just shook because every night at 9 o'clock was exactly the time I took them. No matter where I was, what I was doing, I would take the pills at 9 o'clock. Uh, so that, that was the last time.
1: So after two weeks, that was it. You were clean. I was clean. Uh,
2: it took me probably a couple of months where I started <clears throat> getting over the, the, you know, I want these pain pills really bad, that urge. Yeah, the uh,
1: desire was still there. but The you desire didn't. was
2: there, but slowly but surely, by the grace of God, I, I got I got beyond. And the same thing for drinking. I, I still maintain my alcohol. And I, I was one of those, Dr. Phil, and I know you hear it all the time. I didn't drink every day, so I don't have a problem. How ridiculous is that statement? It was when I drank what I did. Did I drink one beer and go home? I thought, what a waste. Why drink one beer? Why not drink 20? That's a problem.
1: Yeah, you put on a clean shirt, so, I mean, you might as well give it your all, right? Might as well. I I It makes sense at the time, and next thing you know, you're shit-faced, and there you go.
2: And you're driving, or you're making some other idiot decision, taking other drugs, street drugs, which I did all that. And I went back to rehab for alcohol. And ironically, the, the day before I went back to rehab to Topeka, Kansas for alcohol, I said, I'm, I quit. I was low. I, again, I was, I'm was. not taking pain pills, but I'm drinking. And I'm not drinking all the time. But I knew I had a problem because it was what I did when I drank, um, the choices I made. And so I said, I am not drinking anymore. My wife said, I don't want to hear it. I've heard it so many times. And I said, you're right. I'm going to go to rehab. And I now I'm not saying rehab does, is not for or – for everyone, it is, and some people it isn't. I went to please her and to show everyone that I was serious, but, but I was not going to drink again, and I never taken, I haven't taken a drop since 1998.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Phil, can I ask you, Phil? Well, you good you are you. so you listen to Brett, and, and I watch your show, and I hear you listen to people, mm. and you're able to pick out you know moments and things. Have you yourself? Ever had to deal with a, an addiction due to a drug or alcohol or anything?
1: Well, I've had to deal with it in this sense. My father was a really bad alcoholic. And when I say bad alcoholic, I mean, uh, he had Wednesday afternoons off. And every Thursday morning, I had to not go to school because I had to go find the car. Mm. Uh, it was somewhere in Kansas city. I had to go find it. And it was the kind of situation where, uh, you know, you'd come home and he had ripped the, uh, vent hood, uh, off of the (laughs) range in the kitchen and used it to knock all the windows out of the house. Mm. And, um, I I can remember as far back as we lived in Denver when I was in the fourth, fifth and sixth grade. And, You know, when you have an alcoholic father, uh, particularly one that's really uh, animated and volatile when they're drinking, you just don't bring friends home, you know, because you never know you're going to walk in and all the windows are kicked out of the house or whatever. And I I remember one night walking up to the house and it it was February and it was cold out. I I saw something in the driveway and it was pretty windy, so I figured something had blown up. And... I had some friends with me and we were going to walk past my house to another friend's house. And in my driveway, my dad was laying there in his underwear with his pillow. He was hot in, in the house laying in bed. So it just made perfect sense to him. He got up in February in Denver and went outside and laid down in the driveway with his pillow and he was asleep out there. Um, so I, I grew up with all of that and, And I I made the decision real early on, I just wasn't going to do it. And so I I haven't had a drink since high school. I I tried to get drunk once in high school, and I'll be damned, I got hung over while I was drinking. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't like you got at least a little while, you you have some fun, and then you get hung over. I'd drink a beer and feel like I got hit in the head with an ax. Now, of course, it was hot beer, and it was in the trunk at school, uh, so I didn't give it probably a fair test, which was okay, but I've I, I just never been i never been able to get drunk, and I guess that's a good thing because wow. yeah. I, I haven't had a drink for 50 years. I just, just I saw what it did to him and what it did to our family, and it was so disgusting to me. I just never – Never wanted to have anything to do with it.
0: You know, my man, Brett, just because we're all getting a little older doesn't mean we have to surrender to hair loss. Two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they're 35, and that's why we turn to our friends at Keeps. There are only two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss. Keeps offers both. Keeps offers a simple, stress-free way to keep your hair, and it's affordable.
2: Treatments start at just $10 per month.
0: With convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered straight to your door every three months, you don't have to leave your house. It comes in discreet packaging and has proven results. In fact, Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors. Now treatments can take four to six months to see results, so act fast. If you're re- ready to take
2: action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash to receive your first month of treatment for free.
0: That's keeps.com K E E P S.com slash FARV F A V R E to get your first month free keeps.com slash FARV. Go now. Can we, uh, look, just, just, we only have a few more minutes. Dr. Phil, appreciate your time again. Uh, Phil, I watch your show and I watch how you, uh, you take people apart, you take families, but people when they lie to you, you know it. And they, and you, you look them in the eye. Do you ever feel uncomfortable calling these people out? Do you ever feel pity and empathy for these people while you're being very tough with them?
1: <clears throat> well, you know, Eric, that's a fair question. And, you know, I never confront anyone to just be confronting. I, I, I just, um, I just finished a show with a young man that uh, was very violent with his wife, and I mean, just a real violent situation, and had an unbelievably bad temper. And uh, if if you watch that show, you would think, "What is he doing?" Uh, but his comfort zone is anger and in your face and rah 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 and so I went at him in a very different way and said, look, you've been judged all your life. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to understand you. Let's figure this out because I know you don't want to do this. And I mean, he just burst into tears and said, I don't. I don't know why I do this. I, I hate myself for it. I, I, I don't want to defend it. I'm not here to justify it. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know why I do this. I absolutely hate myself. And I had an expert scan his brain yesterday, and we found uh, excessive scarring in his brain. We just got it back during the show, and sure enough, he had excessive scarring in the neocortex of his brain that is, involves the epicenter of control, for anger and anxiety and it explained exactly why he couldn't pump the brake on this kind of thing. So, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, I, I I try to meet people where they are and and sometimes those that their comfort zone is confrontation. You're better off to go at them in a different way. And I just try to do what works with somebody to get their attention and initiate a, a change chain to get them started in that direction. And uh, so it's really just a matter of figuring out the best way to enter somebody's rational mind and get them to acknowledge things that they need to acknowledge because you can't change what you don't acknowledge you, mm-hmm. if you've ever talked to a drunk about their drinking while they're drunk you know what i mean if you <laughs> there's right. no point doing that you got to wait till they sober up and then talk to them and and so i i try to get people to really listen and i yeah, I have to say, and all the time I've been doing this, I've never had anybody get aggressive with me or or uh, get violent or anything, because I, I think they know I'm coming from a sincere place, and mm. they've never had anybody work harder for them to try to get them what they want and get them where they need to be. Mm. And I, I think, you know, don't people know the truth when they hear it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're worried about, you went to the doctor and they said, oh, you know, we need to get an x-ray on this. It doesn't look right to me. And you got to wait the weekend to get the results. And people come along, pat the back of their hand. Oh, it's going to be fine, honey. You'll be good. It, it, that person gives you no comfort. The no. person that comes up and says, look, we don't know what this is, but whatever it is, we're going to deal with it you know, you've got a good doctor, you got a good support system. Let's you, we'll deal with this. We'll meet it head on. That's the person you believe they're not blowing smoke. They're telling you, look, it's, it's early. We'll deal with it. And I think people know the truth when they hear it. And I think I tell people the truth.
2: Yeah. You know, and sometimes, and i found that out. I know, you know, this in over 50 years, uh, of experience, Um uh, as you said, starting back in high school, you gain a lot of experience, whether you like it or not, for later on in life. And and your your experiences definitely changed your life. But sometimes <laughs> people, people have to be told, matter of factly, you know, the truth, or you know, the the hard truth. And like me in rehab, I mean, I thought I was going to manipulate the the system in the rehab facility. Yeah. Well, they had heard it and seen it so many times. Oh, yeah. they're like, we don't play
1: that. Yeah. I tell parents, I could write the first letter you're going to get from rehab before they ever show up. <laughs> Come get me. I'm not like the rest of these people. There's more drugs in here than there are on the street. I'm in the wrong place. This is bullshit. Come get me. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. That's a, That's a, It should be a form letter. You just sign it and send it out. It's the same one from everybody. <laughs> but, you know, I... I really think I'm blessed in that I can honestly say that I think everything I've ever done has prepared me for what I'm now doing. Um, I I don't, I'm not glad that my dad was an alcoholic, but it certainly prepared me to deal with people who grow up in that situation. Um, I I was homeless when I was 14 for about a three, three month period. And, um, I'm, I'm not glad of that, but, um, I can relate to those people who are in that situation. I've done poor. I know how to do it. It doesn't scare me. Um, I, You know, I've been there. It's you, you just, your life experiences. If I was selling shrimp out of a van down by the river, none of that would matter. But since I'm talking to people from all walks of life, it's good to have had experiences from a lot of different walks wow. of life.
2: You know, going back to selling shrimp on the river doesn't sound too bad
1: sometimes, does it? it boy, I'll tell you what. No personnel, no occupancy costs, just you and the shrimp down you, by the river. You know who that doesn't sound bad to?
0: Everyone except the guy who's down by the river selling shrimp. And shrimp, exactly. <laughs> he wants to trade places with Dr. Phil, Brett Favre, Bowling. Uh, Dr. Phil, we really, really do appreciate your time. Awesome uh, to see you again, my friend, a uh-huh. long time. And uh from Brett, you want to fi- final word, Brett? I just wanted to thank
2: Dr. Phil. I, I've always been a fan. I, I think due in part because of what I went through, uh, when I would listen to your show or watch your show, I could relate and, and, uh, and you were always point. I mean, you, you were on point with, uh, just like they were with me. And, uh, I, I just, uh, again, I'm a big fan. It was great to have you on.
1: Well, that means a lot. I have a lot of respect for both of you guys, and uh, you you owe me one now, so you're going to have to be on fill in the blanks here soon, and we'll uh, continue our conversation. Consider
0: it done. Consider it booked.
1: All right. Well, you guys are are very generous to have me on. I've really enjoyed it, and uh, we'll continue this on the other side. Absolutely. Phil
0: McGraw, everybody. And, again, Dr. Phil, congratulations on Season 19 and
1: 19 more to you, my friend. Yep. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Eric. Well, oh, man,
0: farv this is this has been a great show. I think uh, I think our listeners learned a lot, uh, maybe a lot about you, also about Dr. Phil. Fantastic show. Appreciate you. You know, being so forthcoming and honest with 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 your past, it's 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 really refreshing.
2: You know, I think it's it's my duty to to help others and, and, and definitely in a time where it's, it's needed. Um, I mean, it's gotten so much worse than even when I was taking pain pills. So, uh, you know, thanks to Dr. Phil for, for uh, enlightening us on, on his thoughts. And I'm hoping that
0: if I save one person, then I did my job. Yeah, you know what that makes you, my friend, MVP not of the NFL, but MVP most valuable podcaster in America right now. Never thought I'd hear it, it, but I love it. See you next week, everybody.
2: Coming real. It's the next episode. What about Brett Favre?
0: Follow the show on Twitter for the latest news and links to all our social media channels at Bowling with Favre. Bowling with Favre is executive produced by Ali Brito and Rob Jenners. This has been a presentation of live by lives podcast one. What's better than courtside seats, free sports on Pluto TV. Hey sports fans, get all your sports free on Pluto TV. Pluto TV is your home for sports. Watch 24 seven channels of MLB, MLS, MMA, sports news and analysis, plus documentaries, TV shows and movies, all for free. No signups, no fees, no contracts, ever. Download the free Pluto TV app on any device.